let's just pray. Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would illuminate it to our hearts and to our minds. Lord, that we would hear you and that we would respond in faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you, how would you describe the perfect community? What would your answer be? A lot of people want to go and see where this community might be. A lot of people want to be part of it. People have sought to set up communes, little communities where they would have just perfection, where everything would be blessed free from the the difficulties, the corruptions of the world. But inevitably, people bring the problems of the world into whatever community they are part of. Like somebody once said, they tried to set up an anarchist community, but nobody would follow the rules. People bring uh, their difficulties, their problems into the community. As Groucho Marx once said, I refuse to join any club that would have me as a member. I'm not good enough to be part of any club, and if they accept me, then they're not good enough for me to want to join If we were to join a perfect community, we would be bringing our imperfection, our sinfulness into that and making it imperfect. There is no perfect community here on earth. And we all struggle with the, the impact. We struggle with searching for love, searching for acceptance, searching for equality, searching for harmony, peace, unity, perfect harmony, perfect peace, perfect unity, and perfect leadership. Where can we find this? Our hearts long for this. Somewhere where we can be welcomed without fear. Fear of rejection, fear of being vulnerable, fear of being mistreated, fear of being abused. We all want to be part of such a community. God originally designed the world to to be a paradise where mankind lived, but we rebelled against God. Paradise was lost and sin entered the world. And yet we all know the effects of sin we all experience the, this world which was created to be perfect but has become imperfect with the brokenness of relationships, dysfunctional relationships with selfishness, misunderstanding. We could say so much more. If we don't, if we don't see it, all we have to do is put on the news. And we see it just again and again and again, the brokenness of this world. And yet in his infinite love and mercy towards us, God is creating a new earth, a new place where we will have perfect harmony. In Revelation chapter 1, 
the newness of this new earth is not that it will be just something which replaces the old, like you get a new car. It's it's new because it's the most recent. The newness of the new heaven and earth means that it will be created fresh. It will be different. It will be better. It'll be a universe, a world where thieves do not break in and steal. Where the animal world does not eat away at what is good. Moths and eating away at, at clothes. Or the the basic structure of atoms and molecules will not be towards degradation. Iron rusts. Whether it's willful human actions or the, just the, the living world around us or even just the structure of atomic physics. Everything is pointing towards degradation. But Jesus says, don't build, don't store up treasures for yourself here on earth where these things wreck and ruin. Store up treasures for yourself in heaven where there will be on that new earth no more decay, no more destruction, no more sin any longer. There will be nothing which is damaging, nothing which is hurtful. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering any longer. In this new world, the old world will be discarded in an instant when the Lord comes again. John says at the start of Revelation chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. The sea was where the beast came from, was where the ancient world believed that evil came from. But the main thing here is that the old earth had disappeared in an instant. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. When Christ comes again, believers who are still alive will be instantly transformed. Those who are dead will, will be raised and transformed, and together we will be with Christ. And on that judgment day, he will consign all that is wrong and broken. All who have done evil will be sadly consigned to the lake of fire. This broken world will be wrapped up and disappeared. And a new world where there is no more decay, no more brokenness, nothing that ever goes wrong again. Paul tells us the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We should do our part in trying to reduce environmental damage. That's our stewardship. That's our responsibility. We should never have let it get so bad. But God's ultimate solution is to 
start again. To put it all to one side and to create a new perfect earth. When Christ comes again, we will have this new earth. There will be a new heavens. We will have a new home with God. But in contrast to the instantaneous creation of a new earth and heaven, in Revelation chapter 21, John also sees a new Jerusalem. But it isn't being created in an instant. It is coming down gradually out of heaven. He writes, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. This holy city is coming down from heaven. It's an active verb. It's something that is in the process of happening. Like an airplane descends from its cruising altitude and it slowly makes its way down and lands gently on the earth. It takes time to do the descent. It doesn't just do a nosedive and just hit the earth. So too, the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven slowly over time. It is being prepared as a bride for her husband. The new Jerusalem is a bride. The new Jerusalem is the bride of Christ. The new Jerusalem (coughs) is the people of God. The bride of Christ is the people of God. Paul or John is using two different metaphors here. A city, a new Jerusalem, and a bride to try and convey the idea that God's people, those who have trusted in Christ, are a new community and will be united with Christ. Finally, in a new way, we are already united with Christ through faith in him. We're already in Christ. But we will be with him and we will share that new world with him in a new way, without restriction, without distance any longer. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 that the bond between the bride and the groom, the husband and wife in marriage, is not simply a functional relationship for families and, and, and living here on earth, but it symbolizes in a mysterious way the union between God's people, the church, and Christ. John has already spoken of the bride as a new city in Revelation (coughs) 3.12. And he does so again shortly later in chapter 21. Then one of the seven angels said to me, Come with me and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God. Notice there where he describes showing the bride and then he shows the city. The two are the same. He's already said, Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honour to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure linen to wear. The bride wears fine linen, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. The bride is God's holy people. 
the church. I'd like us to notice six things about this bride, about this city, that we see here in Revelation chapter 21. First, the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven. Second, it is coming gradually. Third, it is metaphorically based on the old Jerusalem. Fourth, the bride is beautiful. Fifth, there's no temple in the new Jerusalem. And sixth, only those who have trusted in Jesus will be there. Firstly, the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven. Whenever we read in the Bible that something has come down from heaven, generally the meaning is that it has come as a gift from God, that it is by God's grace and by his mercy alone. The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, although it is coming slowly, it is not actually the metaphor of an airplane landing, descending out of the skies, is actually helpful in terms of how slow it happens, but it's not helpful in terms of where it is happening. It is not as though there is a city which is making its way down through the clouds and arriving on earth. As Revelation is so often metaphorical, the idea of the city coming down from heaven, anything coming down from heaven is a gift from God. All good gifts come from our Heavenly Father in heaven. And so the city coming down from heaven, that means that this is a gift from God who is in heaven. The church is being given God's grace. It's being given new life by the Spirit. It's being given righteousness through faith. The meaning here is that God is stretching out his hand from heaven and blessing people on earth. As more and more people place their faith in Jesus, God's grace is being poured out from heaven. As more and more people place their faith in Jesus, the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven. It has been built on earth by the grace coming down from heaven. Secondly, it is coming gradually. The building of the church takes time. Jesus said he is building his church and the plans of hell will not prevail against it. Paul tells us, together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Becoming takes time. Through him you gentles are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We are being made part of this dwelling. It occurs over time as day after day more and more believers place their faith in Christ. The church is compared to a house here. It's it's compared to a building in other parts of scripture where we're each being added to it. When somebody believes, it's like another brick being added to the building. And when the last brick is in place, Christ will come again. Thirdly, the new Jerusalem is metaphorically based on the old Jerusalem. 
It's not that there's going to be a new city in the Middle East that replaces Jerusalem in, the, in Israel at the minute. The old Jerusalem served its purpose in terms of being the place where it provided safety for God's people, where it was a place where the temple was, where in the Holy of Holies God's presence was. The old Jerusalem symbolized where God's people lived in safety. It was a walled city which provided protection. It was where God God dwelt himself. The new Jerusalem coming out down from heaven is not a restoration project for the old Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem, as well as functioning as a city for the Israelites, symbolically also prefigured the dwelling place of God, the new Jerusalem. It's not that the new Jerusalem is replacing the old, it's the old is pointing forward to the new. Jerusalem in the Old Testament when when God's presence was there amongst his people that is what we should look at when we see the, the words the new Jerusalem it symbolizes the safety and the presence of God a place of dwelling a place of safety also I think it's helpful also to remember that in the ancient world Although at times the Israelites divided up the land between them um, into different areas. In the ancient world, like Greece for example, places were not defined by borders of, on a map as much as we see them now today. When we think of a country today, we think of, if you were to look at a globe or an atlas or a, or a map, you think of a, an area which is a different colour from the area beside it. Uh, and we think of a boundary and everything within that is this country. Well, in the ancient world, they didn't think like that. To them, the focus was there's a city and the city was what defined their identity. The city was where they were safe. And there would be people who would farm the, the, the neighboring areas, but it was the city that gave them their identity. They were known as citizens of a city, not citizens of a nation or of a country, the way we know today. And so the, the New Jerusalem, the, the heavenly city, the holy city, symbolizes the people of God. It symbolizes an identity which is based on our identity in Christ. Not Our identity in Christ is not based upon our nationality. It's not based upon anything else other than the fact that we are Christ's. And if we have turned to him, everything else is secondary. Well, we might still have a an Irish or British or whatever passport. But that doesn't mean as much as it used to. That doesn't define us any longer. Once we've turned to Christ, 
We are new people in him. We are citizens of heaven. That is who we are. We might have a passport from one country or another. We might be members of different clubs. We might be members of different things. That, but these do not define us. We belong to Christ. And in the same way that people in the ancient world belonged to a city, and that was their identity, our identity is belonging to the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. It's interesting that Plato, in his Republic, which is one of his best-known works, he wasn't actually a Republican in the sense that we think of being a Republican today. Uh, Plato's Republic was really a, a work where he tried to describe how a community of people could live in a city in perfect harmony. And he had some good ideas, he had some very strange ideas. But one of the interesting things was that although he was trying to strive for the perfect community, he also envisaged the community in terms of an individual. The harmony that you have within a community, it almost has a personality of its own. And if the people are at war with, hostile against each other, it, it's like a person who is frustrated, a person who's not at peace within themselves. So the idea of a city having an identity as an individual was not just exclusive to John here in Revelation chapter 21. The, the city being the bride of Christ, the people of God being the bride of Christ. And yet, for all that Plato and others have tried to do, they have never been able to find a perfect city. They have never been able to, to achieve what they're looking for. Education has not produced uh, an idyllic world. Wealth has not produced perfection. Different political philosophies have not produced a perfect world. The only thing that will produce a perfect community, a perfect people, is Christ's new Jerusalem. Christ's people. And if we're, looking, if we're looking for perfection, if we're looking for a perfect community in anything else, we will be frustrated. We will never find it. It can only be found in the church. God is building his church. We are not perfect yet, but at least we know something of that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, that fruit of the Spirit, which... Although we experience it in part now, we will experience it in full there and then. God is building his church. Grace is coming down from heaven. As more and more people are being joined to him. Fourth, the bride is beautiful. John says... And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. We all know what it's like to be at a wedding. 
we had the privilege of being at our daughter's wedding two weeks ago where the bride was beautifully dressed for her husband. Whether it's wearing a white dress in a Western culture or wearing different dresses and different jewellery and and so on in other cultures and other parts of the world, often with many more colours. The thing about brides is that in whatever culture they're presented as in as beautiful a way as they can be for their wedding day. John just notes here in verse 2 that the bride is beautifully dressed for her husband, for Christ. He later goes into much more detail. But as we saw previously, the the robes, the white robes of the saints were the, the good works, the righteous works. Christ is presenting us as beautiful for himself. God is presenting us with a righteousness, a beauty that is not our own. And when we are with him on that day, it will not be because we are inherently beautiful in a spiritual sense. It will be because he has given us that spiritual beauty by the renewing work of the Holy Spirit in us. But then John goes on and he says, Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He's describing the bride and then he shows him a city. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. The bride shone with the glory of God. How can you describe something that we cannot understand? How can you describe to somebody who's blind what the different colours of the rainbow are like? We can use words that might give a bit of a glimpse of a bit of an insight into something that they haven't really understood or seen before. And in a similar way, John in Revelation chapter 21 is stuck. He cannot describe fully the glory that we will have when Christ returns. But he tries with words that give us a bit of an understanding. We're described as shining with the glory of God, sparkling like a precious stone, like jasper as clear as crystal. Jasper has previously been described as one of the the characteristics of God in Revelation 4, chapter 4, verse 3. There's something of the glory of God in the church. We haven't seen the full glory of God. Some of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, saw the, the transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured. His glory was veiled while he was here on earth. But for that moment, that veil was lifted and they saw him shining brighter than than anything they could ever see before. And something of that glory 
will be in us when Christ returns. When this old decaying body, this outer man is to, is gone and the new man, the new body, that spiritual body, that body, the physical body created by the Spirit of God, filled by the Spirit of God, will be what we see. Then we shall see the full glory. But in the meantime, John tries to describe the glory of the new Jerusalem. And again, Revelation being metaphorical, I don't think we should necessarily think that the new Jerusalem is going to be a city which is a cube of 1,400 miles one way and the same, the other way and the same high. What John is describing here in Revelation chapter 21 is metaphorical. A perfect cube. A a city which is made up of perfect stones. Twelve gates and twelve foundations. The twelve gates representing the, the twelve tribes of Israel, the Old Testament people of God. The twelve foundations being the twelve apostles at the foundation of the New Testament church. The point being that this is God's people from both the Old Testament as well as the New John goes on to describe the new Jerusalem as being built of jasper and other precious metals and stones. The foundations were inlaid with 12 precious stones, jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth and amethyst. The 12 gates were made of pearls and the streets were made of gold. This is an attempt to try and show how perfect, how glorious, how precious the people of God are. How the glory will be fully seen there and then. The bride of Christ in all her beauty. The new Jerusalem, the place where God lives among his people. What a glorious place. We are not yet in our glorified state. When we look at each other, we only sometimes get glimpses of something glorious. But imagine the most godly Christian that you know. Imagine them being even far more godly than they already are. And imagine every Christian you know, even the most difficult to get on with Christian even the most unsanctified Christian being transformed with that same glory the glory that Christ has I find it sometimes helpful not to treat people the way I see them but to treat people the way they will be when they're glorified and fifthly There is no temple in this new Jerusalem. The old Jerusalem had the temple in the middle. God's presence was there in the Holy of Holies. It was a place where God was with his people. But there was still separation. There had to be sacrifice. 
when we are with God in glory, the Lamb will be there. Jesus, the sacrifice slain for the sins of the world. There will be no need for a temple anymore because the sacrifice has been completed. There's no need for a temple or altar even now. The sacrifice, once for all, has been completed. It is finished. John says, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the lamp is its light. We might argue whether this is metaphorical or literal. Will there be no more moon or sun? Or is it a way of saying that we are living in a relative darkness all the time? We only have the the dim light of the sun and even the dimmer light of the moon to guide us. And these, the lights that we have, the light of the moon, the light of the sun, are even just reflections in a sense. They are instances of the greater true light representing God then we will not have any need for any dimmer lights because we will have the ultimate source of light whether we take that metaphorically or literally or both that is something that we cannot really say for certain but what we do know is that there will be nothing stopping the light of God shining in our lives in all its fullness when Moses had met with the with God on, on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he came down, the reflected glory of God shone so brightly on his face that the Israelites couldn't look at him. They couldn't look at the man who had just a reflection of the glory of God. Then we will be able to see the light of God shining directly on us. We will not have to veil our faces. We will be able to see him face to face. And sixth, lastly, only those who have trusted in Jesus will be there. People from all nations will be there, but there will be no one who has not trusted in Jesus. There will be no sin there, no unrighteousness. All sin will be banished and there will be peace, harmony, unity, joy, love, everlasting worship of God and love of our neighbour. That is the kind of world we would love to live in. But the thing is, we have to want God to want to be there. It's not enough to, to just be, to avoid having all the bad things. We need to want God. We need to want to be restored to him. We need to want to be obedient to him, to love him, as well as love our neighbour. If we want to live in that perfect world with God, we can enter into that now through faith in Jesus. If you haven't trusted in him before, all it takes is just turning in our hearts and placing our faith and dependence upon him. As the the tax collector in the temple said aware of his sin and being in the presence of the the place where sacrifice for sin was given he said Lord 
Have mercy upon me, a sinner. And he went home right with God, justified. Being part of the new Jerusalem, being part of the bride of Christ, the people of God. If you've already trusted in Christ, keep looking to him. Keep turning away from darkness in this world towards the light of God in Christ. Keep building up the church. Keep being renewed personally. Keep being patient with one another, encouraging one another, building up and ministering to one another as well as to others. And in doing so, bit by bit, this new Jerusalem will be coming down from heaven. And we will see something of the glory of God among us as we await Christ's return. The church is the only community where there will be perfect peace, harmony, unity, righteousness. Let's join it now. Let's encourage people to place their faith in Christ. Let's build up the church and let's enjoy the church. Let's enjoy being part of God's people as we look forward to when he comes again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace and mercy towards us. Lord, help us to look forward. Help us to to cherish that day when you will come again. And help us to live now in the light of that. Help us not to live according to worldly standards. But Lord, help us to live now as your people, as light in this world. By your grace, working in and through us. And to your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.